Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome as my guest, Philip Lopate. Philip Lopate's book, To Show and to Tell, was one of the first books on writing nonfiction and memoir that I ever read when I was beginning my own memoir manuscript at my master's program. Philip Lopate is a central figure in the revival of the American essay, both through his ubiquitous edited anthology, Art of the Personal Essay, and his own essay collections, Bachelorhood, Against Joie de Vivre, Portrait of My Body, and Portrait Inside My Head. He is also the author of such book-length nonfiction works as Being with Children, Waterfront, Notes on Sontag, Rudy Burkhart, Photographer, and A Mother's Tale. Additionally, he has written books of fiction, Confessions of Summer, The Rug Merchant, Two Marriages, and Poetry, At the End of the Day. Finally, he has edited other anthologies, Writing New York and American Movie Critics, and is currently completing a three-volume historical anthology of the American essay. A member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, a winner of Guggenheim, New York Public Library, and National Endowments for the Arts Fellowships, he is on the faculty of Columbia University's Graduate Writing Program, School of the Arts. Welcome, Philip. Glad to be here. May I call you Philip? <laughs> Absolutely. Please do. Okay. I just realized I never got clearance for that, and I, I owe you a debt of gratitude for the work that you do. And I really, really want to talk about your book, To Show and to Tell, which so many memoirists and nonfiction writers that I admire talk about. And as I was telling you before we started our recording, I worked with Deborah Gwartney at Pacific Master's Program for my MFA. And she introduced me to your work and to your ideas about nonfiction. And you have worked with Deborah, correct? Yes, she was my student. And uh, I really like her writing and like her as a person. Yes, I do too. I always talk about how other students, as well as me, when we were working with Deborah and in her orbit at Pacific, often she'd have a line of students kind of following her around. And I always joke that I kind of imprinted on her because she has so many wise words and has this maternal quality that writers seem to really be drawn to. So in the introduction of To Show and To Tell, you bring up the writer's workshop oft-repeated advice to show, don't tell, but that you are convinced both are necessary in literary nonfiction. So can you talk a little bit about why we need both in personal essays and memoir? I don't think that writers should be worried or ashamed of uh, summarizing at times and not doing everything through um, indirect methods of showing, you know. Sometimes the the voice that's direct, that's honest, that's speaking straight to the reader is the best way of of developing uh, a, a relationship between writer and reader. And so sometimes you have to tell things, especially if you're encompassing a lot of chronology, you can't do it all through showing. You've got to just tell. Mm -hmm. So that, that taboo needs to go out the window. 
<laughs> um, is there a way, this is a giant question, and it may be hard to answer it in one take, but is there a way to know as a writer when you're telling too much? Or, or Because for me as a writer, uh, I love to not do a scene. I mean, I would just love to do exposition all day long. Mm-hmm. But I had to go into scene for my memoir. So I think that, you know, people often have to be reminded to show and to get people into scene and action because it is so captivating. But it would be very tempting to take your advice to tell and and run with it too far. So is there a way writers can know how to gauge this and when they're going too far in one way? Well, I think when you're trying to write a memoir, trying to bring alive the past, there may be certain incidents that suggest themselves as scenes, you know. They form in your mind as a scene. And so uh, so go with it, you know. Scenes can be wonderful. It's, when you're writing dialogue, of course you're not going to remember everything, so it's going to be an approximation, and that's okay. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of remembering, and you're kind of imagining, and you're kind of inventing, you know. So uh-huh. all that goes into scene-making. And I just think that... Uh, you develop a kind of diplomacy and instinct uh, for when you're doing too many scenes and when you need to start summarizing and when you're doing too much exposition. It's really a question of a balance. Mm-hmm. And do you think it has a lot to do with the idea that we need to see the lens of the writer? The, the nonfiction writer is really drawing together their experience and, and showing it through a specific lens. So telling is actually helpful to clarifying the lens for the reader. That's very well put. Uh, yes, exactly. And also it has to do with the, with the writer turning himself or herself into a character, as I discuss in my book, To Show and to Tell. And so if you're turning yourself into a character, you can't always do it through scene making. Sometimes you have to speak directly to the reader. Yes, and actually my second question for you is, why is it important that memoirists are able to turn themselves into a character? You can't assume when somebody picks up a book and they see the word I, uh, meaning the first person, that they're going to know what you're talking about or who you're talking about. So just like a fiction writer has to create characters, you have to turn yourself into a character, preferably by bringing out just those aspects of your character that are most singular, most idiosyncratic, or most humorous, let's say. Mm-hmm. And in order to turn yourself into a character, you've written that you need to have or acquire some distance from yourself. So can you talk about tools for that or what else is helpful in developing oneself as a character? Well, you, you do need a sense of uh, perspective, you know. And so you can't take your own defensiveness too seriously, you know. You have to develop a voice inside your head that says, Yeah, yeah, okay, stop defending yourself. The biggest problem for future memoirists is is self-righteousness, you know, and also turning themselves into martyrs or into victims. So you have to be able to know when you yourself have been complicit in a problem, when you've made a mistake. You have to know your own flaws, your own defects, and and, and not, not be too upset about them, just realizing that that's what makes you human. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I, I learned for the first time when I studied under Deborah, who studied with you, which was the divided self. And I really didn't understand that. So my, my memoir and so many memoirs uh, deals with childhood and insecure attachment and sort of a, a sad childhood. It's like a sad childhood memoir. You're lucky. Um, You're very lucky because uh, 
If you've had an unhappy childhood, you've got good material for a memoir. If you have a happy <laughs> childhood, you're stuck. <laughs> then you have to have an unhappy regular life so you can then write about that, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky in that department. But actually, I should mention that when I first started working with Jabber, I was I was originally a fiction writer, and I was hesitant to write my memoir. One of my complaints was I didn't have it that bad. You know, I'm fine. There are people who have it a lot worse than me. Exactly. But Deborah was the person who encouraged me to write it because I, I, there was a lot to mine. And if I didn't write it, somebody else would. Well, you don't have to uh, have had a... Uh a tragic experience in order to write a memoir. The memoir is going to convey how you see the world and how it comes at you. So you don't have to have been sexually abused or be dying of cancer or any of that. You basically are someone who, who is processing the world. And if you have an interesting take on the world, that's sufficient for writing a memoir. Oh, that's so gratifying to hear. And I actually have a quote from To Show and To Tell from you, which is, what gives personal writing dynamism is the need to work out some problem, especially a problem that is not easily resolved. Fortunately, human beings are conflicted animals, so there is no shortage of tensions governing our lives. So how does this pertain to the divide itself? Because, and I, and I will just add that when, when I think about my child self, and, and this is not to talk more about myself as, as much as to give an example, I didn't understand what the division could be, okay? You know, I had a, something that happened to me, my parent, my mom left, etc. I was a kid. I didn't feel I had any stake in that. I didn't do anything to cause that, right? So there was no division for me in a sense, when I was writing the memoir initially, I was like, well, I didn't want them to leave. You know, there's no division there. So I had to really figure out what the divided self was trying to tell me, what I was trying to work out in the memoir. So can you talk a little bit more about that and how writers can help find that? Well, we're always experiencing ourselves as, as, as divided. You're in a social situation and you're performing and another part of you is watching you and thinking, am I being too brash now? Am I being too shy now? You know, how am I coming across? We're always, to some degree, divided. And then the other kind of division has to do with the way you were when you were younger and the way you are now. And so you're not the same person. You know, you, you, you think about what you were like as a child and you think about um, how, uh, how you process that same material now, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. You're not going to have the same judgment on it than, that you had as a child. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking to memoirists who are dealing with material that is more recent, for example, maybe five years, you mm -hmm. know, seven years, and of course, it's all relative. Some of us have clarity about our behavior right away, and some of us don't have clarity about our behavior. Yes. So if, if you were working with a memoirist who was really not sure that they had this lens or perspective yet on what they were trying to work out or a difference between how they acted in the time that their memoir takes place and now, would you would you recommend that they hold off or that they keep writing into it? I think if they keep writing into it, uh, eventually they may, they may start to get it, you know. But I often have to point out to my students uh, some blind spot, you know. Let's take the situation, you know, of uh, a, a young woman who who loves her father and hates her mother. It's, a, it's essentially an Oedipal situation, and she's completely unconscious uh, uh, of the fact that, uh, that there may be some jealousy involved in her relationship to, 
to her mother or her, especially her stepmother, uh, which where there are often problems. So, you know, I do think that, that you have to develop a, a kind of a, a self-correction device, you know, and sometimes uh, going into psychotherapy is useful. But, you know, another way is just to read a lot of great literature. And after a while, you know, you get a sense of, of the rationalizations and defensivenesses and delusions of of, of, of people, and you start to identify them in yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, so there is a self-awareness necessary for writing memoir. Oh, completely, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, it, it, it can't be, it can't be um, delusional. It has to be on some level rational, so that even if the events you're describing are, are bizarre or irrational, you know, the writer herself or himself uh, has to have a kind of a reasonable take on it. And you have to be worldly. I think that's very important. So for instance, you know, if you're, if you're married and your spouse is unfaithful to you, it's a very hurtful situation, but you have to understand that you're not the first person in the world to whom this has happened. Mm-hmm. So you have to be aware that there are patterns. You have to accept the, the, the parameters of people's frailty and the parameters of their, their, their virtues and vices. This also brings out another quality of to show and to tell that I wanted to touch upon, which is where you write, there is the need on the memoirist part to create a complex, flawed eye character and a satisfying self-aware narrator. So I I wonder, you know, are there memoirs you've read where this does not happen? I'm sure there are memoirs where it doesn't happen, just as there are mediocre uh, collections of poetry or short stories, you know, and there are mediocre memoirs, you know. But but often the 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 reader catches on before the writer does, you know. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, also, you know, I was recently at a conference and I was on a panel about not villainizing people who have caused us pain in memoir, how when you're writing those relationships, and I had some wonderful memoirists on the panel, and we were talking to attendees about why it's important to show yourself in multi-dimensions and also why to write people who you've had problematic relationships with, with nuance. Yes. You know, do you want to speak a little bit about that? I mean, I think it's important to try to put yourself into somebody else's shoes so that you're not just getting even with them because that's that's very ugly and it doesn't it doesn't read well as literature when you're just trying to uh, get even with somebody. So y- you need to sort of go as far as you can in understanding the other person, even if the other person has 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 dealt you dirty. Mm-hmm. Right, because otherwise it's, you know, you have to hold your own feet to the fire, basically, which is which is how I learned it myself. And, and that can be fun, yeah, because, you know, <laughs> uh, you, can, you, know you realize um, that you yourself keep doing things, you know, no matter how old you are, you keep doing things that puzzle you. You say, oh, my God, did I really do that, you know? Uh, did I really mess up in that same way that I used to? We become kind of mysterious and enigmatic to ourselves, you know. We never quite are able to see ourselves completely. That's something that Freud said, that we can't really see ourselves in some ways, you know. Oh, gosh, I couldn't agree more with that. And what's really interesting to me as you said that was I realized while I identified personally some of these patterns in myself in my memoir and in my writing, it's not that that prevents me from doing it again in real life. Yes, Yes, you know. I mean, we can be very wise um, uh, on the page. On the page. And then we, then we keep go, doing some really stupid thing, you know. 
when did you personally as a writer realize that you had this take or when did you I want to go back here you know before you wrote these books and as you were teaching and realizing these things did you have a moment or did it just slowly dawn on you that you were you were a approaching memoir and nonfiction writing differently or talking about it differently? Well, I think that I was always drawn to a certain kind of literature, like first-person writing where where somebody could possibly have been unreliable or or fooling themselves, you know? You know, so I would read something early on, like Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground, and, and the narrator is... is is, is bristling with vindication and, and self-justification. And part of the fun is, is being able to read him and to see what he can't see about himself. So I was always drawn to, to the comedy of rationalization. And so, you know, whether that's in a Woody Allen movie or whether that's in a, uh, a work of literature or in a poem like Browning's My Last Duchess, you know, um, it, 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 it's the comedy of of rationalization that that amuses me in some ways, you know, because it cuts through the solemnity. Because what I like really to do when I'm writing is to be mischievous on some level. And part of the mischief is catching myself at my own errors. And that can be an endless exercise, right? (laughs) And I don't mean that personally for you, but for all of us. No, it's true. Absolutely. So I like to try to pierce through the mask of self-righteousness, solemnity, um, thinking, you know, that you are more sensitive than everybody else and so on. Mm-hmm. There's another ahead, reason for it because I think that when you're writing a memoir or a personal essay, if you're, if you're more honest, uh, it gives a piece of dynamism. It goes somewhere. It doesn't stay at the same level. And, and that's important, you know. I mentioned, uh, and you mentioned earlier, that, uh, uh, that a piece needs tension, you know. But it also needs uh, development, and part of the development is is self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And it, it is interesting because that can be so confounding sometimes. I mean, a lot of us come to nonfiction writing with something that's bothering us or something that we can't stop thinking about, and we start to write. But there there's often something else going on, and we need to find it. And so that's the part that can be really confounding, but also super rewarding and then really gratifying for the reader. Yes, I mean, it needs to be pointed out that um, that one of the purposes of, of autobiographical writing is self-discovery, but another purpose is making uh, an object that, that's well-made, you know? So in that sense, uh, it's like a pot, you know? If, if you're doing ceramics, you want it to have the right shape. So regardless of, of, of self-expression, you know, you have to be attentive to what the piece of writing seems to want for itself. You know, Uh when it seems to be going on too long, when it seems to need more, and so on. And, you know, something that comes up with memoir writing is this idea that we start, wherever your story starts chronologically, wherever you decide to do it, there's a journey. There's there's a journey of you, the character. But sometimes I think there can be confusion, and I definitely experience this, where, especially if you're writing uh, a child or a childhood memoir, and, and you've actually said that in your book that it's important when you write childhood to convey the psychological outlook you had as a child, not the limited verbal range mm-hmm. and and also this idea that the intelligent narrator must be present from page one onward so i mean i have read occasional books where there's almost childlike speak to depict the early years of a writer's life mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about what you think about what i've just said i think i think that uh in a novel 
let's say, it seems to me more permissible to, to stay within the linguistic range of a child. But my own feeling is that in nonfiction, in memoir, you, you'd better get a full intelligent voice going from the beginning instead of, uh, you know, springing it on page 50 or page 100, you know, because um, I don't want to read a memoir in, in the voice of, of, a, of a five-year-old because I, I, I require more sophisticated prose. And in terms of the narrator who knows that by memoir's end, the character is going to be okay and survive at least long enough to write the memoir, that presence needs to be there as well. Exactly. Yeah. We, we, we know that this is not just going to be, uh, a, it has to become a story of survival on some level. You're absolutely right. Mm. So do you have any advice to memoirists who are in the midst of their work right now or writers in general? Is there advice that, that you feel like you'd like to share? Well, for one thing, I think it's, it's important throughout one's career to, to read at the highest level. And so you don't have to invent the wheel. You can keep reading the best memoirs and autobiographies, and, and you'll discover a lot, you know? And, and you don't have to read only books that have been written in the last 10 years. You can go back to the 18th, 19th century, and so on. And, and you, you'll encounter a lot of, of the same issues, you know? A lot of memoirs, for instance, are about family life, you know? Mm -hmm. And there are wonderful examples in the past and in general, a memoir about growing up requires strong parental characters as well as a strong narrator character. So um. you can't just develop your own persona. You have to develop the, the other people around you as, other, as interesting characters to bounce off of. Now, what about in the case of parents who are missing? What would you advise memoirists to do in that sense? Would you then really hone the, the space that's left by that parent's absence? There are often other people who become surrogate parents or who have an impact on you, sometimes people who you only meet once, you know. But there are these sort of educational figures all on the way. And you don't always have to, to like the parents. There's a, there's a memoir by Paula Fox called Borrowed Finery. And her, I love it. Yes, I did my thesis in part on that. So, you know, her mother left her. And what's, what's interesting about that memoir is that she dislikes her mother on page one, and she dislikes her on the last page too. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't develop um, empathy or compassion for her mother. But 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 we learn a lot about her, and and we congratulate her for her honesty. Yes, yes, and it's it's it is honest because why should she have a reversal on how she thinks about her mother when her mother doesn't change at all? Exactly, and th that's particularly a problem when you have a parent who is uh, narcissistic. You know. And you realize that uh, you're never going to be able to crack that narcissistic shell, you know. Mm. So you have to work around it sometimes. I wonder how many memoirists who write memoirs of childhood have narcissistic parents. Have you ever thought about that? Yes. Well, I think in general, it's the, the, the writer is often the one in the family who, who doesn't talk so much, you know, but who watches and observes, you know. Mm -hmm. so, so often the parents are... are uh, or acting out a great deal, or divas, and then the, the, <laughs> the child is the one who's taking it all in. Mm -hmm. So when you think about memoirs in our final few minutes, when you think about memoirs that you go back to again and again, or that you really appreciate, can you name a few that I can share with listeners? Oh, sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I like uh, Mary McCarthy's uh, Memories of a Catholic Girlhood a lot. 
partly because you know her parents died off before uh, the the story begins, uh, and she was stuck with this aunt and uncle who were kind of horrors. But also, she herself was a bit of a brat, you know, um, and and obnoxious, you know. And I like the way that uh, Mary McCarthy develops herself into a a character who is rather flawed, snobbish, and and obnoxious. That's a good one, I think. Trying to think of some. Uh, some other memoirs. I mean, there were, you know, there were these memoirs like Ackley's uh, My Father and Myself, which is a very good one. And he even wrote one about his relationship to his dog called My Dog Tulip, which is a, a lovely book about somebody and a, and a pet because often our relationships with our pets are so powerful oh, and yes. deep, you know? Great. Well, thank you so much. And I can also add Borrowed Finery to that list when I talk about the memoirs you love or recommend and is there a particular place where people can find you if they want to read more of your work one one specific place not necessarily one place i mean i have a i have a website but you know i've written a lot of memoir work and one of my last books is called a mother's tale in which i let my my mother talk a lot um and and ah. you know when, when we ask ourselves are we distorting these portraits of our parents in this case I had tape recorded my mother, and so she was giving her version, and I was giving my version. And it's a, it's, it's in some ways a, a comic and sad book. <laughs> oh, I'll definitely check that out because I have lots of mom material myself, and uh, I think so many memoirists do actually. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. This really just was, I'm over the moon. You were one of the first memoirists uh, and teachers that I knew of, and now I get to interview you. And it's really just such a full circle moment for me. So thank you so much. Well, and thank you for your astute questions. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here. 